You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host. As always, this week, we have a really special guest in. Probably the one and only time we'll be able to get him in, but it's Dylan Canby, the research analyst at Rewa. You'd think about all that information we get from Rewa and probably the 10 times more information that's sitting there available that we don't even get to see. This is the guy that pulls it together. He's an economist by trade. And we've been so lucky as an industry for the last few years to have Dylan sitting behind all these numbers, prepping them, pulling them together. All that weekly information you see on how many properties have been listed or how many have been rented or what happened last week, a month ago, all that those weekly updates, this is Dylan Canby. From my opinion, doesn't get the recognition, the mouth piece that I think he should is one of the most impressive guys on that, that side, especially in property that I've seen across the country. And I've finally been able to get him in the room. So Dylan, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for those kind words, Trent. Yeah, certainly interesting. Um, and I suppose a lot of the, the insights I do have, it comes down to the access of, of that data we have. And, and of course, um, putting that together to, I suppose, tell a story as, as to the trends we're seeing. So certainly happy to be here. And, and thanks for those words again. Hey, that website, river.com, I guess that's a great source of information for you to start with, right? Certainly. I mean, look, we've got a we've got a range of, of information sets there. We've got things down to the suburb level with those suburb profiles. We've got high level information at the Perth market. And we've got a, we've got a bit of coverage on the regionals as well. So so across the spectrum, there's there's a piece of information for everyone. And just in the back end, we're actually in the process of reinventing that website. So in the future, there'll be a larger wealth of information coming to that spectrum, which is obviously something to look forward to. I guess when you compare it to other real estate institute members who don't have such a good website, we've got a lot more data than they do, right, for their own markets. Certainly. I mean, look, we're more WA focused, which gives us a great insight to the local market. We get a range of data sets, of course. For example, every transaction that settles in WA goes through Langate. We get that data, but there's a bit of a settlement lag there. For example, a contract might be signed today, but it won't settle six to eight weeks into the future. That's a piece of data that's, I suppose, fully comprehensive of the entire market, but there's that time lag. The other piece of information we get is from the Rewa.com portal where, of course, members can advise when a property is listed and then eventually when it sells, how much it sells for. We can calculate how many days it's been on the market, etc. So, I mean, there's a wealth of information there and and also quite a timely source source of market trends. So it keeps us on the pulse. The stat that I hear is that REWA members cover about 98% of transactions in WA. Does that mean that you're pretty much looking at 98% of the information? Correct. So, I mean, it, it varies from market to market, but overall, um, most suburbs, we've got a coverage of in excess of 90%. So, um, like I said, because we've got that that coverage of the membership providing in information as, as it develops on the ground, it's very timely and, and reasonably accurate as developments occurring on the ground. I guess one question I want to start with, which is probably a little bit of a segue from what we just spoke about, but Rewa's got its information, CoreLogic's got its information, Domain has as well, and they all seem to be slightly different. Sometimes some information will come up quite a lot earlier. You know, we saw domains came out last week. Rewa hasn't spoken to that yet. CoreLogic hasn't spoken to that yet with regards to pushing through new barriers on price points with a median house price. Yep. Why do you think we've got all these different data points and who are we supposed to trust? You're right. There are a number of data sources out there. They all track slightly different pieces of information, but fundamentally they're looking at the same market. The absolute figures, um, I wouldn't pay too much attention to the nitty gritty. I suppose the overall trends paint a better picture of the market. Now, regardless of what measure you're looking at, the, the overwhelming trend right now is prices are increasing and that's on the back of, of strong demand and relatively low supply. For prices, Rewa typically uses the median sale price, which quite simply is the midpoint of, of every transaction over a 
particular period ranked from lowest to highest and it gives you a barometer of what I suppose a typical property is selling for. Now there are I suppose ups and downs to that. The most obvious one is it's very simple. It's simply the midpoint of every transaction but there are also a few things to bear in mind with that. For example there might be a period where there might be high number of sales in a particular outer suburb that would skew in an outer suburb that's relatively lower priced and that higher volume of sales would potentially skew the price down or conversely up in, a, in another suburb. So they're just some things to be aware of. But essentially, I suppose if you're a prospective buyer and you're look, looking at purchasing right now in the current market conditions, that's the typical price a property is selling for and therefore the type of pr um, prices you're probably looking at paying at the moment. Like I said, there are a number of pr um, methodologies out there. There are some more advanced ones that again has its pros and cons. So for example, CoreLogic and, and Domain each have uh, have something that's an automated hedonic index or stratified median. All of those are somewhat computer generated and have a methodology behind those. They're not as pure or simple as, as the median and they try and adjust for those composition biases that I talked spoke about when talking on the median. All in all, I wouldn't read too much into, into those discrepancies or slight deviations between the various measures and I'd probably focus more on the broader trend and at the moment those trends are, are certainly expansionary or, or upwards pressure on prices the fact they're all going in the same direction is what you're saying it doesn't you know probably of all three data points none are perfect but the fact they're all going in the same direction is probably the story we need to stick to certainly so yeah so essentially just i suppose trying to get a gauge of the market and looking at one in isolation may not necessarily tell you the full picture and and as you mentioned looking at an array of, of points or price data points will tell that story you spoke to the median house price and how that can be skewed by volume above and below it, right? Certainly. One thing I've been hearing from and speaking to a lot of sales agents around town is that despite the really strong demand supplier relationship we've had in the last couple of years, I think we're all still a little bit surprised that we haven't had the growth numbers as a percentage on the median house price that the East Coast has. My hypothesis on that is that we're still processing through a lot of lower cost properties which is keeping the median down and not properly reflecting the growth we're seeing in the market and i think a big reason for that is we have still quite a low stamp duty threshold what's your thoughts on that would you agree that you're seeing the same thing in that really the median house price doesn't reflect the growth we've seen and are seeing or, or would you disagree with that sure so i mean i wouldn't say fully agree nor would i um fully disagree so like i said we track a number of price measures one of the other non-rewa price measures we track is the CoreLogic hedonic index so or, or the hedonic home values median that price is actually now is the latest figures are about 0.8 percent above the previous 2014 peak suggesting that overall values are essentially at all-time highs right now and um, that index has also risen close to about 28 percent since bottoming in 2019 and that probably speaks to the strength of the market and the turnaround we've seen over the last few years or so in terms of the median sale price so like i previously mentioned um, is influenced by the composition of sales in terms of what types of buyers are most active at the moment so a lot of the activity initially especially in this current upturn was driven by first home buyers first home buyers typically look at lower priced properties given their they haven't developed a financial strength or strong balance sheet to date and of course more first home buyers being active at the lower price ranges would suppress some of that median again some of those first home buyers are less active now as they were suppose in 2020 when we had a large volume of government grants but as those have have I suppose been less active we've seen more investors enter the market and investors typically do also look at those lower price point properties as it's as a good entry point into the property um, property ladder from an investment point of view so essentially 
higher activity at those low, lower price points is somewhat suppressing the median. And um, that said, we have still seen continued growth in the median, just perhaps isn't fully reflective of total market conditions. But like I said, the median tracks what the typical property is transacting for and is a good parameter for, I suppose, what that price is. Well, I guess it just hits the ego of the West Australian when you see the national numbers come through and Hobart's at 21%, Canberra's at 24%, Sydney and Melbourne are up there. Even Melbourne, which was locked down for half a year last year, they still had higher growth than Perth, which really was supposed to be living the life. So you sit there and go, what would it take for us to be leading the nation in growth? Fundamentally, our economy is very strong. And at the end of the day, a strong economy is what drives a stronger property market. We've certainly got a solid platform for growth. So I'll just touch on a few aspects of the economy. So GSP at the moment is at record highs. We're looking at in excess of 300 odd billion dollars worth of output per year. That's the highest we've seen on record. The labor market is very tight. We've got job vacancies close to that 60,000 number, which is also the highest on record. And the unemployment rate is sub 4%. Essentially, what that means is the pool of skilled workers out there is is somewhat reduced relative to the past. And also businesses are very keen to, to hire more people. What that does is lays a platform for stronger migration flows going forward, um, given people move to WA for two reasons. One being the lifestyle, that's always been quite attractive. The other is employment opportunities and economic success. Or it's never been higher. Certainly. So at the moment, migration flows have been somewhat subdued. Of course, no surprise, border restrictions and COVID uncertainties. Now that those border restrictions have eased, it's reasonable to expect that migration flows do tick up as people perhaps look to WA more or consider WA more um, closely, given the strength of a labour market and the opportunities present. At the same time, the affordability for housing would, would also potentially encourage more migration, considering a, a property costs less than half, if not a third, of something that it would in Sydney. And our wages are higher than Sydney, but our housing is a third, third off those prices. So How do you balance. figure that happens? Obviously, Sydney is, is a different market. There isn't an argument that Perth prices should be in line with Sydney prices. They were back in 2008. No, they certainly were. and and um, But at that point, you'd probably argue that Sydney screamed value as the opposite of, of now Perth screaming value. Perth is, is obviously a smaller city. It, it, is a, it is a great city and a great place to live nonetheless, but it wouldn't command the highest prices in, in the nation. Let's talk about affordability index. You mentioned it just then, and I think that's probably what's on the front of everyone's minds right now. You see a lot of chatter about interest rate rises, obviously cash rate rises being yep. the impetus for that. And when you see it come up on Facebook and then you see the comments of all the naysayers, oh, Perth's about to drop, oh, you know, this bubble's about to burst. My argument against that is that we've done some pretty strong research ourselves on affordability index. Numbers come up that Sydney's at 61% of their disposable income used for mortgage, which normally is about a cap nationally, not in just in Sydney, but we've seen it's pretty much our cap in Perth too. We're at 23%. So what that means for me is that there's certainly a lot of fat there for cash rates to increase. We've also done some modeling that at 1.5% cash rate, which is what a lot of people are talking to is where we expect it to be by end of next year or sometime next year. If you model that into hitting an affordability index of about 61% as a cap, which is where Sydney's cap demonstrates to be historically as well, versus our current incomes, Sydney's theoretical price limit is actually 60 grand less than it is today, which is why the market's already pricing that in based on future expectations. They're pricing in drops, which is why we're seeing them drop already based on future expectations. Whereas in Perth, our median house price actually would sit up above a million dollars for us to get to 60% affordability index with a cash rate at 1.5%. Now, that's not to say in any case that that theoretical cap would be reached at any point in in the near future. But for me, that gives me confidence that as long as there's enough demand versus the chronic undersupply we've got, 
there's enough space for us to ride that out under the radar whilst it might be a little bit uncomfortable for us to now start paying more in interest rates we can do it yep i'd certainly agree with you so i mean the, the current cash rate setting was an emergency response to to the pandemic what we've seen over the past few years is a success in the economy navigating those conditions and the property market has prospered the cash rate pr- previously um t- two cash cuts before was at one and a half percent so if we do end up there that was already considered a, a fairly supportive monetary policy so essentially the cash rate is expected to rise as interest rates are broadly. But that should be a positive thing, normal, bringing back a bit of balance. Essentially, essentially that's what I'm leading to, is that we're probably heading closer towards normalised conditions based on the strength of the economy and the property market. The other thing is financial markets are pricing in higher interest rates. Now, there's no surprise that rates are going to be higher. A lot of that has already been changed or priced into mortgage products. So recently, we've seen quite a reasonable rise in fixed rate products or mortgages being offered. Quite a substantial rise. Correct, correct. So a lot of that is leading the RBA move. The other thing to bear in mind is interest rates are probably heading closer towards balanced market reflective of current conditions. Now, historically, a cash rate, even if it were to rise as high as 3%, that would still be a historically low cash rate. For example, back in 2012, the cash rate was cut from 2011 levels. We're probably heading at an upside case to walk back to all those December 2012 levels. In the grand scheme of things, we're still going to be an expansionary or supportive monetary policy and a low interest rate environment, just not as low as we have been in the past. Now, a few things also to consider with that is if interest rates are going back to around 2012 levels, since then, the typical working individual earns about ten to $15,000 more, and that's essentially more disposable income they can use towards financing their mortgage obligations and so forth. So from an affordability point of view, interest rates are still going to be reasonably low and probably below longer term averages. And at the same time, the strength strength of households from a balance sheet point of view and also the income aspect is is stronger and that certainly supports um, supports the property market. Well, further to that, you've just spoken about that excessive level of demand derivative coming in from obviously job wages. We haven't spoken about one thing, which is immigration. And I haven't seen the information. You probably haven't either because it takes so long for the ABS to actually report this stuff. But are you seeing anything off the ground that's demonstrating, yeah, we actually are seeing the, the population growth that would support that demand? Sure. So to date, we haven't actually seen any hard data to support that claim. But as I previously touched on, the labor market is very tight. And and that's one of the key things that does drive population into WA. So it's- canary in the coal mine is what you're saying? Certainly. So with a very tight labour market, it'd be reasonable to expect an uptick in, in population. Just to give you an example, so population growth at the moment is quite slow, um, given given those border closures we've previously seen. But still, over the last 15 years, WS population has grown 30%, which would equate to around 600,000 people. And that would average around 40,000 per year. Now, if we take a look at new housing being built right now, which is obviously taking a lot longer to complete given those trade constraints and, and material shortages, um, but we've got just under 30,000 dwellings under construction. So simply with, with a strong labour market, if even if migration re- reverts back to those normal levels we've averaged over the last 15 years, a lot of that new stock that's being built would quite easily be absorbed. We're at, the, at a point where we've only got about seven or 8,000 listings for sale in Perth, and we've got sub-3,000 listings for rent. So in terms of rent... That's chronically undersupplied, right? So if you look back at the stats over the last 15, 20 years, notwithstanding just general growth in population, there's some problems with that. Certainly, where we've got a very low supply of stock, both on the sales and rental market. So listings for sale are the lowest they've been in over a decade. 
and the vacancy rate at the moment is around that 1.2% mark. Just for some context, we benchmark anywhere between the 25 to 3.5% as, as considered a balanced market. We're well below those levels, and, and that just goes to show the severity of, of the shortage of properties out there at the moment. If we can segue again, you touched on the increased cost of build as well and timeframes. Pure economic theory would suggest that when the cost to replace an asset increases, the rest of that market for the real asset in the existing established market needs to come up towards that. Otherwise, no extra supply would ever be added. Certainly. So, so that's been happening right now. The cost to build a house has gone from 200 to 300 or 300 to 400. Inherent in that, based on the economic theory of no extra supply being able to come through because of that, the rationale of, of the extra cost, wouldn't that inflation in the cost of that asset automatically lead to, without even demand and supply being a factor, increases in the established market? Sure. I mean, look, for fundamentally, demand for property is is based on demand and supply. Um, the demand is is a number of people, quite simply, who, who live in WA. Um, at its simplest point, um, people need a roof over their head. Supply is, again, quite simply, the stock of dwellings that exist. Now, both of those measures are, or, or both those factors are driven by, by other conditions, for example, strength in the economy, interest rates, so forth. And replacement cost or, or the and the availability of land are two key elements that influence supply. Both of those are relatively constrained at the moment, and, and of course that's limiting supply. Um, so as I previously touched on, we're facing an environment where there's reasonably strong demand. So just give just to give you some context, sales activity at the moment is averaging around 60,000 sales per year, and that compares about 40% higher than what we were seeing three years ago. Over that same time, number of listings for sale in Perth has halved, and, and essentially what we've seen is lower supply, stronger demand, and that's obviously putting that pressure on prices. Now, if we're taking that in context of replacement costs, as you mentioned, construction costs have probably risen more than what established property prices have. And what that would naturally do is encourage people to perhaps look at the established market more closely. And given the shortage of properties available there, it encourages them to bid up prices and therefore the market would continuously be rebalancing. Exactly but it right. it just takes, I suppose, that transition point or the time to filter through but overall the conditions are strong demand low supply and that's putting pressure on prices well that's what i'm seeing the dynamic right now is it's becoming obvious to people at the moment that they can increase in the cost of construction which i think has gone up about 50 percent in my opinion from where it was pre-pandemic has happened way quicker than the increasing cost in the established market even even though the established market's moved 20 to 35 percent in suburbs it still probably hasn't even caught up to what we're looking at to buy a new home and add one more piece of supply to the market. So it does take that time for people to actually bid that price up, whereas the build cost can go up in the space of a couple of months based on global macro events. And to talk to global macro events, inflation. I'd love to get you to put the economist hat on here. Sure. Global inflation is something that we can't really control, but it will have an effect on the purchasing power of people's wages and what they do with their money in terms of investment. Surely the worst thing to be doing right now as someone who's got spare cash is leaving the bank. Certainly. I mean, look, interest rates are still are low and they're still likely to be low despite upcoming rises. And and they're still well below what inflation is. So Perth's inflation was in excess of 7%. Latest figures came out this week. Inflation is is a concern for households looking to, to spend money because the cost of living essentially is higher. But at the same time, a high inflation inflationary market is usually good for asset prices given their scarcity and, and they tend to relatively hold value in a high inflationary environment especially when you're leveraged into that environment leverage is is a great way to to amplify returns and um, for example um uh, buying a five hundred thousand dollar house and putting a hundred thousand dollars 
equity into that, you've got to loan a four hundred thousand. Now, if those if that five hundred thousand dollar house rises by ten percent, that's five hundred fifty thousand. You still owe the bank four hundred thousand, assuming you haven't amortized any of it. Your hundred thousand equity is now worth one hundred fifty thousand, which is a great return. In, that's effectively a fifty percent return. That's hard to compete with other asset classes. Given you, if you were to put that hundred thousand into shares and you weren't to use leverage because it's harder to access leverage in other asset classes, to get a fifty percent return there is obviously a lot more difficult. Um, so, it's quite simply, if you're using leverage, you don't need property to go up anywhere near the same degree you do an alternate asset class because you've got the element of of leverage. Well, especially just leaving it in the bank. And I think that's a hard thing. There's a lot of products out there these days that are offsets, redraw. You know, the reality is if your mortgage rate is going to be 3% and the inflation rate is 5%, you've lost money that year. Yep, certainly. I mean, in a low interest rate environment, it doesn't really make sense to to save money. Those with capital, you'd you'd imagine they they look closely to to invest and and chase those higher returns. And also, um, those those from relatively good incomes would probably be looking to consume rather than save their money and 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 potentially buy the same good or service in the future at a, at a higher higher price once inflation kicks in. So, would you say that people that are getting nervous right now about the all the noise coming out in the increase in cash rates, people get anxious about future? predictions right people get nervous about those things would you say that those nerves are probably a little bit unfounded or at the very least should be tempered by an expectation that uh, even with an increase back to normal cash rates perth is probably still expected to see growth i was, I was certainly not time to jump off the boat no i, I, would, I would certainly just um well, i would actually disagree that's probably not the time to sell to offload properly in perth um given the strong growth trajectory we've got so as i mentioned um previously Perth property prices are less than 1% higher than their previous peak. Since then, our economy has grown quite significantly. People are earning earning higher wages, and interest rates are probably going to go back to levels we saw around that time. So if we go solely on the basis that people are earning more money than they have and willing, or than they previously were, and the same interest rate char- charges are in line, then quite simply, property prices should be higher to reflect that higher income. So a year and a half from now, Dylan Canby, Cash rates are 1.5%. We're all making about what we're making now or a bit more with inflation coming in. Inflation is hitting the hip pocket. Cash rates are hitting the hip pocket. But we've still got that theoretical capacity to pay a lot more than we are. Prices are higher than they are today. Certainly, I don't think high interest rates will, will dampen the market significantly. And also, as I previously mentioned, it comes down to the fundamentals of very strong demand and, and limited supply out there. Um, and that will continue to put pressure on prices. So Riva's official forecasts are for price growth this year are in the ballpark of 10% for the calendar year. That There's obviously an upside risk to that in that if we do see higher than expected migration flows, realised growth c- could certainly be higher than that. Um, we feel we've made, made a conservative judgment when we came up with that forecast at the back end of last year and the market's broadly on track to accomplish that so the first first four months of this year we've seen three to four percent growth based on the core logic index and then that's more than on track for that for that continued sustained growth trajectory people often ask me and this is one of the hardest questions to answer and i'm sure it will be very hard for you to answer as well but how long we got in this run you know does it go for a year two years three years should we be looking to off offload things at the end of this year or next year um, have you got any perspectives or is it sure. just total folly trying to predict anything more than a year out in Perth? Sure. So look, I mean, nobody's got a crystal ball so they can't exactly predict what the party comes to an end. My view is that the growth trajectory has has an extended platform and there's a few reasons for that. Um, one is inherently where economy that's exposed to the mining sector. At the time of the pandemic, a number of large larger countries or powerhouses enacted large fiscal spending um, packages. Those are infrastructure spending packages. They take a number of years to to play out. 
and and build those infrastructure road rail etc whatever it is and those will continue to demand our high quality and high volume resources that we're we're very good at digging out the ground and selling elsewhere so that itself a strong mining backdrop will flow down to the rest of the economy and support that our labor market as i previously mentioned is very tight and there's no sign of that slowing down at the moment that will put pressure on wages just as inflation is on other parts of the economy and again support the power households have to to purchase property and those asset prices there so overall i'm quite optimistic about about the perth property market we haven't seen excessive rates of growth as as perhaps some of the eastern state counterparts have and that obviously means that our growth trajectory is a little bit more sustainable potentially and inherently we're in an environment where we've got reasonably strong demand potential for additional demand to come through when when migration flows do eventually pick up and um, supply is very low at the moment we are building a number of properties as we've touched on before um, but those could easily be be absorbed by by migration flows so we're, we're probably looking at an environment where we've got reasonably strong demand holding through supply still to be relatively low it might be a little bit more than what it is right now also as potentially some some homeowners look to capitalize on recent price growth but overall supply is likely to remain relatively constrained strong demand and, and of course put those on balance and, and those would continue to put sustained pressure on on prices so i think we're on the same page about that macro space in perth and i know you're not a massive fan of giving advice on a micro space but are there any key tenets you'd notice as a statistician as an economist here where you've gone well geez it's pretty obvious these housing types or these locations or these factors have demonstrated more fundamentals for growth than others in perth i don't really have any new insights um, other than what you've touched on in the past but i'll just re-highlight two components the first one is a house has two value components one being the building it's built on building to appreciate over time the other being the land that is it sits on now land values appreciate over time because of scarcity and you can't really replicate land in the same location with the same in proximity to those same amenities so looking at an asset with with more land value it is likely to 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 outperform over the longer period of time from an investment point of view it's really where where families or households would like to live and um, they typically tend to be in close proximity to good transport networks off employment whether somebody works in the city works in industrial retail etc and they will always attract a pool of of occupiers relatively stable in in their employment segment and also close to um, local schools etc where where families can grow evolve and be comfortable with over, over a period of time so those are the two key things i'd probably be looking at is type of property that's got a lot of a fair bit of land value and also in close proximity to the amenities people would just like to live and and that certainly helps it so current market conditions almost anything will, will lease out given the shortage of properties out there but conditions aren't always like that they're likely to be like that for for at least the medium term but eventually when when conditions are are soft um it's those properties that offer that high level of amenity that are, protect the downside certainly dylan canby real research analyst i really appreciate your time mate it's been super valuable to everyone listening and it's one that one of my biggest nabs so far and getting in the studio so mate thank you so much and hopefully we get a chance to speak to you in the future certainly i look forward to that thank you trent thank you for listening to another episode of the perth property show if you've only just joined the conversation you can catch up by heading over to our website perthpropertyshow.com.au subscribing to the podcast or joining our facebook page Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!